Welcome to Designers of Paradise, a podcast focused on people who are changing the ways in which we produce our food, care for our soil and water, and protect our climate. There's a steady flow of information now about the many ways in which agriculture is damaging our planet, disrupting natural ecosystems, polluting our air and water, and destroying the soil it depends on. But there's another set of stories to be told as well. These are the stories of the people dedicating their time and brilliance to reversing the impacts of our industrial food systems. From farmers and consumers to innovators and entrepreneurs, city planners and funders, an entire ecosystem of change makers is on the rise. Together, they're bringing in a next generation of agriculture, which is regenerating soils, food quality, local economies, and significantly, hope. Hope for a better, healthier, and more equitable future for all. These are the designers of paradise. These are people who see paradise as the natural condition of a world in balance, where our collective activity feeds the land and consciously works with nature to rebuild the abundance that supports all life, including our own. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. Please subscribe for Designers of Paradise at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm speaking today with Julie Brunson, uh, Director of Operations and part of the inspiration behind Hope Gardens, uh, which is in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. Welcome. Hi, Eric. I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you, Julie. Um, as some of the listeners may, may know already, I have a um, worldview. I have, a, I have a picture of the kind of regeneration space that I believe is very important to include the individual as well as the community. We've talked a bit about community in, in previous podcasts um, and how the act of regenerating the food supply, regenerating the land, the landscape is actually a community process. But one of the things about what Hope Gardens is doing that I found so exciting is that it, it has a conscious connection and, and agenda around helping individuals also to regenerate their hope, as, as, the, as the name suggests. Um, I'd love it if you gave us a, a, a glimpse in, into the motivation for starting in the first place. I remember you said something about your husband's experiences when he was quite young. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks for the introduction there. Um, yeah, actually, Hope actually started Hope Gardens. Uh, H-O-P-E uh, stands for helping other people eat. That's beautiful. And, well, thank you. Yeah, the, well, the vision uh, behind it actually started uh, when my husband, Rich, was homeless. He had uh, lost his mom due to cancer when he was 15 dropped out of school and uh, kind of got in a little bit to the drug scene and was kicked out of his stepdad's home, uh, you know, due to his uh, probably being gone for days at a time and he became homeless and uh, sometimes sleeping, you know, on couch surfing or uh, sometimes sleeping in a car or in a tree in the woods and during that time in his life, he would go sometimes two days without eating. Um, and he started wondering, why is it so hard to find food? And uh, he said he was in the woods and he had like this picture 
kind of hit his heart, his head, his mind. And it was, uh, it was like a billboard, he said. It was like, and the billboard said H-O-P-E, helping other people eat. And he said to himself someday, it kind of snapped him out of his depression or, you know, loss of hope, lack of, lack of hope, um, because it uh, helped him think of, someday I'm going to do this. I'm going to help other people eat. I'm going to teach people how to grow food. So nobody has to wonder where their next meal comes from. And so um, that's, that's where, you know, the initial, I guess, seed was planted was back when he was 17. And a few years later, I met him. So we've been married for 32 years now. So when I was 17 and he was 21, I met, I met him and, uh, he would tell me of when he was homeless and he was at that time just kind of getting back, well, kind of getting on his feet, living with a family. And he told me of, of this, you know, his experience and, and, uh, well, I came from a family who my mom raised seven children on her own. Some of the youngest of seven and she had all of her kids by the time she was 26. So we were all, you know, one, two years apart and she was a single mom. And so um, I as well understood, you know, we were on public assistance and my mom worked really hard and she's actually my hero. Um, and so I understood, you know, food security and, and the vision of what he had sounded wonderful because that's my heart as well. But we, neither one of us grew up as farmers or growers or, you know, we were city people and um, actually a little story of my mom um, had mentioned she tried gardening uh, when we were younger and she asked my sister to go my oldest sister to pick tomatoes she was a teenager at a time and she picked the whole plant instead of the tomatoes so she she actually had said you know <laughs> which is pretty comical and so she said actually educating uh, having this kind of program in schools of teaching children how to grow food would have really helped our family you know, to, to have gardening experience. So um, I'll just uh, keep sharing here. So fast forward. Okay. So we've been married for a while and life happens, you know, um, that was a beautiful thought and we just, you know, life goes on and life happens. Let's just say that the dream or the seed was buried, or as my husband mentioned this morning, it was, was kind of like locked in a dungeon never to come out again. That's what it appeared to be because life happens. And then fast forward 30 years, uh, my husband experienced concussion, a concussion and work-related concussion. And uh, it totally just rocked our world, his world. And at that point, um, it, it brought him to a place of like, well, who am I now? I can't work. I can't, uh, couldn't drive at the time, can't read, can't write, um, very depressed. But we had this garden, which, you know, we've always, like I said, we always gardened. But the year before his concussion, our son had introduced us. He was 17 at the time. He's 23 now. He'd introduced us to this 
different method of growing. And before, um, before we, he introduced us to this, we, we gardened, but we always had, let's just say the garden of shame. I wouldn't bring anybody to my garden because it was full of weeds. We always made the rows wide enough to get a lawnmower through to get the weeds down, you know? That's, that's, uh, that's an indicator for sure. <laughs> and um, it definitely was not regenerative and uh, organic. We didn't use any, ever, we never used that kind of product, but um, our son had watched some YouTube sensation type of thing. It's a gentleman named Paul Gachi out of Washington State. And he said, hey, you guys got to try this new way of gardening. And, you know, 17-year-old talking to your dad. And, he, of course, Rich has been gardening for years, like, well, you know, I think we got this son. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? It's kind of classic. Yes. No, you guys got to change this way of gardening. And, and so we watched the YouTube video he showed us and like, oh, okay, Rich said, I'll try this little section, you know? And, um, and, we and just, what was that new way? It was called, it's called Back to Eden, which is basically just, basically a method that is, um, recreating the forest floor so if you look at the okay. forest yeah nobody's nobody's watering the forest and this is something we when we teach children look at the forest who is anybody watering that does anybody have a hose out there um who's who's going out there and working the soil out there it, it happens naturally right every every year it, the, the leaves fall the branches fall twigs and it's producing beautiful soil and so we, we're recreating the soil by bringing, you know, this deep mulch into the garden. So we tried that the first year and we were amazed. That was the only place that looked the best in the whole garden. And, and so we determined, okay, next year we're going to do the whole thing, you know? And so we did. And um, then he, Rich had that um, concussion and the only place he could find peace like what he'd say is what, what is predictable was his garden and chickens. He could watch his chickens because they were predictable and sit by his garden because I don't know if you're familiar with uh, concussions, but um, noises or um, even communicating with family was difficult. And so he would be sitting by his garden. And at that point I, I would sometimes, you know, go out there and see him sitting by the garden and, and something occurred to me because the garden was producing so well. I'm like, wow, this, this could really help a lot of people eat. And so the very thing that we used to talk about as teenager, when I was a teenager, you know, I started speaking again, you know, here 30 years later. I said, remember, we used to remember hope helping other people eat. So this, this way of growing could really like help, you know, impoverished nations, people that are challenged with water because it takes less water, takes less work. It's always feeding. It's always, you know, it's always feeding the soil. And that's kind of uh, in a lot in a little bit long conversation here. That's that's really how we started Hope Gardens. 
That's such a beautiful story, you know, and it, it really resonated with me when I first, I don't remember whether you actually had written something about that or we just connected and then you told me, but um, because I had, a, I had a not so different experience when I was in my late teens as well. Um, but mm -hmm. I, the, the, the difference being that I'd actually taught myself to do organic gardening before. So at the sort of towards the end of high school, wow. um, you know, I, a friend and I got found a piece of land uh, that wasn't being used and we put in and, and taught ourselves basically how to do organic farming or organic mm -hmm. gardening in the city. Um, and then really within 18 months, I found myself in another part of the country living rough. Um, and I, I totally related to the despair and I relate, related to, um, you know, the, the experience itself and this, that kind of inner conversation that can bring a person to the point where, where you say to yourself, wow, if I get through this, <laughs> I'm going to find a way other people don't have to suffer the same. Mm -hmm. And so that's just so incredibly beautiful. And, you know, more recently, even when I was living for uh, several years in Ireland um, in, a, in a shared uh, house um, and we were recycling everything we possibly could, including <laughs> food waste and, and that sort of thing. And I remember one day it just hit me. It's so incredibly simple. Make compost, <laughs> grow food, mm -hmm. feed your neighbors and everything is fine, <laughs> you know? And so, so kind of the simplicity, obviously, you know, we live in a more complex world than that. And there's, 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 there's factors we have less control over, less direct control over. But even so, you know, I, I think really like the, you know, the, the operating instructions for human society on planet earth are fairly basic. <laughs> and it's just so lovely that you've encapsulated that um, now in a program and an activity. And of course, that it was able to help your husband to heal and, and to mm -hmm. start a, a completely new and fulfilling chapter of, of his journey. Um, I, I think it's gorgeous. And <laughs> well aware, too, at the timing of your project in terms of the world and especially the United States and the just incessant barrage of negativity and fear that's out there in the airwaves. And we so desperately need these stories of hope mm -hmm. and, and not just kind of airy hope, but evidence-based mm -hmm. hope. Look, this is what we're doing. Come do this with us. Look, this is what we're doing. You could do something too. It's so critical right now. Absolutely critical. So mm -hmm. once again, you know, Thank you so much for the story. Um, now, you, you had mentioned that, you know, part of this helping other people eat concept um, is actually manifested in programs you're doing now with, for instance, in the school system, um, mm -hmm. maybe counteracting the girl who pulled up the whole tomato plant. <laughs> <laughs> could, you, could you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing, uh, maybe starting in your own area? And then I, I assume that it's kind of, you know, spreading from there in some way. But um, sure. maybe you could just kind of give us, yeah, give, give us a sense of what, you're, of what you're doing, the kind of reception that you're experiencing from it, and maybe a few highlights. All right. Well, first, I kind of want to backtrack a bit to your story. Um, 
and I'm sorry that you encountered homelessness as well. And I appreciate what you're doing um, in the, your own community, but also globally, because I, it really is making an impact. And uh, I guess I just wanted to, to touch back on your story, because I think our stories matter. And your story is also a story of hope. And it's a continued story, just like ours is a continued story, uh, just because we're in the middle of, you know, doing this beautiful thing, which includes a lot of people doesn't mean we still don't need hope. We still don't uh, struggle and we all need each other to encourage each other because <clears throat> life can have, has definitely so much beauty, but also the, there are times of pain that we all encounter. And I think we all need each other's story to con you know, just even move forward and continue. So thank you for your story as well. Oh, well, not at all. Um, I mean, that's the reason I'm, I, wanted to do this series is because I completely uh, aligned on that concept. You know, this, the stories really do matter. Mm -hmm, they do. They really do. So um, yeah, let me uh, kind of uh, touch back where we were as far as um, when we first discovered, okay, what is this hope? You know, sounds great. You know, how they're helping other people eat, but what does that look like? We didn't know what that looked like. But we had friends around us that cared about us, that helped us to see, to to ask the questions. And I think that's that's sometimes where we get stuck when we have an idea or a dream. Sometimes we get stuck there. Well, sounds great, but what do you do? You know, <clears throat> ask ask yourself the question. And um, and so we asked, started asking the question. Well, what? you know, what is, what do I want to do? Why do I want to do this? You know, what's, what's the per point or the purpose behind this? And, and I think that's, we had, we had friends around us that kind of helped us to, you know, because we had this idea and actually at the time, Rich was so depressed that he, I just kind of had a role with it. He was like, yeah, whatever, go ahead, you know, go ahead and do something. And, uh, the first, my, my first thought is because, you know, we are in um, an urban setting. Well, we're a suburb of Grand Rapids and we're not even on an acre and we've always gardened, like I said, but, you know, my mind was like, well, <clears throat> maybe, uh, maybe we can lease some land and do this on a bigger scale and, and, you know, feed more people on a bigger scale. And so, so, you know, I had an idea and so I started looking for pieces of land to lease. And so I guess what I'm saying is sometimes you have a dream and you just don't know where to go with it. And sometimes just moving forward. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so I found a piece of land. Uh, it was, it was like, uh, I think it was a close to two acres and it was like $300 a year, which is incredibly cheap. And uh, so we wanted to start doing this deep mulch there. And I had like probably a hundred yards of, of wood chip mulch don't, uh, delivered, you know, by semis, you know, donated. And we started this process and thought, oh, let's, you know, um, have a CSA, you know. So I, I had some ideas just trying to figure out what is this, right? And, and so, um, the land there was, 
so heavy in clay. I mean, it was like you dig a hole and the water sits in the hole, you know. And this regenerative agriculture, that will turn that clay. It, it, will, it will change, okay? But it takes time, just like in nature. It took yeah, years. It takes time for the... Um for one thing, for the acids, the humic acids to percolate into the clay and break up the chemical bonds. Right. And, and it, it, it will turn and it will change and, and it will be, it, it would become something beautiful. Um, but sometimes, you know, when you have a dream, you start moving forward and it's okay if it, it, it just, it's going to shift and change. And so I, I guess I want to try to explain how we even got into the schools. Um, we, my, my, my daughter goes to a, a local school and there's this big empty piece of land, which is in most schools have, have empty lots, you know, by their playground and, and wow, that'd be a great place to have a garden. I mean, that, you know, you're just starting to look for spaces. I can't buy land. We don't have money. Rich is not working. Um, and so, and at the time I wasn't working, you know, when, when you, when this first event happened and, and so you just move forward. And so it was a simple act of, you know, asking the principal, Hey, can we, you know, garden here? Can we, can we do a school garden? And the first question is who's going to take care of it? You know, that, I mean, that's, that's their question that they'll ask. And yeah, it really comes down to like sort of a maintenance challenge. Right. And then we, hey, we'll take care of it, you know. And so that's actually how we even started with our school gardens. It was not some grand, you know, sit down with, you know, a big board and discuss, you know, what's, you know, what, what's the first step. And, you know, although we did sit down with people, you know, to, to dream together. And, uh, and I think that's one takeaway I'd like the listeners to go away with is, um, bringing people into your vision or into your life because we can't live alone. We don't do life alone. You know, dreams are bigger than ourselves. Yeah. We're social. That's our, yeah. nature. And, that's our nature. Right. And that's even like in the garden, it's, it's beautiful because it doesn't matter what race, religion, what you believe, everybody eats and we all can connect in the garden. And that's another thing that we love about the garden we can connect with people yeah there's a there's a magic in that like an everyday magic sure is yeah so um so fast forward here um since uh we started in 2014 and now we are currently at seven schools in the grand rapids area and with school gardens so we will either install a garden or if there's an existing garden, which in uh, the case of two of our programs right now, um, somebody had an, a great idea and had a dream and, and brought gardens. And uh, one of them actually is at the school I attended as a child. My mom still lives two blocks away from it. And I was taking our daughter to play at the playground a few years ago and saw this garden and the weeds were, you know, up to your chest high. And the school there is, 
challenged. They have food trucks come um, monthly to the to the school, and it's it's you know definitely challenged. And when I saw the garden, I just looked at it and thought, this may be how the children feel in their life, like forgotten. Nobody's you know, not feeling tended to or cared for. Yeah. Not saying the parents aren't caring for them because just because they're in that situation doesn't mean you don't have loving parents. Just people are struggling. And I saw the garden. I was like, I I want to I want to make it I want to make this different here. And that's how that garden started. We're going to take a break now. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind and Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind and Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. Mind and Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa, who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come. Find out more about Mind and Media at mindandmedia.com. That's M-I-N-D-A-N-D-M-E-D-I-A.com. And now, back to Designers of Paradise and host Eric Van Lennon. Welcome back to Designers of Paradise. Today I'm speaking with Julie Brunson in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Julie is the co-founder of Hope Gardens, and we've been talking about school gardens and even regenerating the individual through that involvement. So everything's kind of just, let's say, organically been growing, and which I think is beautiful as well. So uh, we, what, we, what we do at those schools, we have uh, two of the schools that are uh, more challenged in the Wyoming Public School District. Uh, we do after-school programs and summer programs, which is actually um, awesome because then you have a lot, a lot of time with the children. In the summer, we go there weekly. The kids can uh, do every; they do all the maintenance, they do everything. But it's not hard work, which is which is awesome. We don't want children to walk away from a garden experience where it's painful, because I know some people don't like gardening because it's yeah. you know a lot of work. Yeah, I, I have I've had friends over the years who've. You periodically said, yeah, my parents made us work in the garden and I hate it, you know? And so yeah. <laughs> they, they took a child's curiosity and just destroyed it around in terms of gardening. And um, <laughs> it's sad. It's, it's really sad. Yeah. That's why, you know, this particular method, because it's the deep mulch, the, the weed, there's just going to always be some weeds, right? But it's so much easier to maintain and, I mean, you, it just, they just pull right out. It's more of a, let's make a game out of this. Think about it though. You have 80 kids or 75, 80 kids. They all pick two weeds while well, you're, you're doing pretty good. So, so it, it yeah. really makes it, it nice when you have kids participating. And, uh, and so you, you want to make it a beautiful experience. So they have a, a good vision of, what growing food is because it doesn't have to be hard. I think, you know, I think that that's one of the most profound experiences you can give somebody and not even just a child. It could be someone who hasn't experienced gardening and is now adult, but particularly for kids, um, you take that with you through life. Mm -hmm. 
And it's, it's a really beautiful set of memories and experiences, skills that you can keep applying and exploring. Um, and it strikes me too that, that, I mean, it comes, it comes with a territory in a sense, you know, so it's not like this is an additional extra, you know, bonus. It's, it, but the entire ability to do gardening with kids at school is in itself this beautiful bonus in life. Um, but for the kids coming from those kinds of, of family situations, to have the combination of, of ability to actually be part of a creation like that, where you plant, you prepare the soil, you plant the seed, you sit there and you wait and you watch and it comes up, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it, you know, it proceeds along as it does. But at the same time, even kind of the, you know, the job of you know, tying stuff up and staking it and pulling the mm -hmm. weeds, that kind of thing. If you've got enough hands in there, then it's light work for everybody. <laughs> and it's this sense in the end that you've created a little patch of order in your otherwise chaotic world. <laughs> and I think that, you know, I think for everybody that's, that's normally um, feels peaceful. And so I, I think for kids, you know, with, with you know, stressed out families, mm -hmm. that that's got to have an even stronger positive impact. Mm -hmm. You know, some of these kids, um, well, one particular school, it's a Wyoming Regional Center, and it's um, emotionally impaired children that there's only 50 children at that school, K through eight, and um, emotional impairment often because of family situations. And that particular school is... Uh, so, so they're basically in shock. Yes, in yep. And the school, actually, they don't have to uh, follow all of the, let's say, standards, requirements, because they're actually just trying to help the children get back into the school systems. So teaching children um, methods of self-regulation. Mm -hmm. And their particular lot that they're their school is on is in uh, just is not very beautiful. Let's put it that way. And the teachers often will take them out of the classroom and go for walks. They'll they have like two teachers per class, like 10 children in each class and they'll take them outside and there's nothing, nothing beautiful to look at. You know, you know what I mean? It's just like a dry lot. Yeah. yeah. yeah and so we are developing not only uh, a, a food source because you know we do think food security is important but also beauty is important so beauty beauty and food and so we're actually creating uh spaces like a sensory garden uh along with a food garden and a permaculture design with pathways for children for for the teachers to come and bring a child to a place where they feel uh, you know, protected, you know, like with the pathways, I guess one of the teachers said, make it into a shape of like an, uh, an eight, you know, an eight pattern, like the, the, the number eight, you know, um, because then they have a boundary to walk on and it's this, you know, this uh, pattern. And so we're creating spaces for teachers to bring their children to have a cool down, to cool down, to self-regulate, but also a place of beauty um, and so including flowers and trees and, um, and so that, that we're real excited about that project because we do see a need for that, for, um, 
to, to not just for us to come and educate, but for the teachers themselves to have a place to bring children and to use that space in their education. So we do, we, we come into the schools and we, we, we have lessons. We we're, we've been creating curriculum, regenerative nature-based curriculum. We have two curriculum writers from Grand Valley State University. They have their master's in curriculum uh, writing and uh, helping me. Um, I'm a master gardener. Um, and so helping me to fit in all the standards because there are required standards in the state. And so we come and we say, hey, we have this, we have this, uh, you know, regenerative garden, garden lessons for you to, to choose from. And uh, also with the standards attached to them and so we come as a benefit to the school not an extra program and so we can we can cover any topic um that they're you know you know plant adaptations you know third graders are learning plant adaptations well what better way to learn it than go to a garden and observe pumpkins and you know the vines of the pumpkins the tendrils and so um so our nature-based gardening lessons um also include if they have Many of the schools have um, like little mini forests or, you know, areas that have trees or something already there that we can also use. And so uh, we use we use the school grounds, not just the gardening, the garden. I like that, too, because because that gives the kids an opportunity to sort of anchor that learning in. It's not an exceptional situation. You know what I mean? It's like if they only could they could come away from that thinking, oh, this only applies to a garden. Right. right. You're teaching these, these bigger concepts and the uh, ability to observe them in, 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 in nature and in life. And so I like that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we, we actually bring them out. A, a few of the schools have woods behind them, uh, which is awesome because we, we take them onto a trail or, you know, it, just into the woods and we actually dig soil, you know, from the woods and then soil from the playground which obviously is very, uh, you know, compacted and soil from the garden. And we actually, you know, have them observe it under microscopes, looking for microorganisms, mycelium. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're teaching soil science. We have a beekeeper come in, teach the importance of pollinators uh, and uh, vermiculture. So we're trying to, everything from seed to plate, nutrition, uh, you know, just we're, we're trying to hit every, every aspect of gr- not just growing, but in nature. And, um, and so, and sometimes it, it's th- through challenges that we've, we faced, for instance, the school I attended as a child, uh, the one that's probably at most at risk children there, uh, we had pumpkins. We we grow pumpkins, and and the pump. We were going to harvest the pumpkins, and several were stolen, and some were smashed when we arrived. And of course, that's very uh, frustrating. As as that's, well as as well as almost predictable. Yeah, it was it was sad, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we brought the kids, and we had them, you know, sitting in the grass. Or actually, we put we that day we have, we sometimes bring blankets. They sit on the blankets by the garden, and obviously they observed smashed pumpkins, and we let them speak. You know, how does that make you guys feel? You know, angry. You know, 
well, what, what do you think we should do about that? And I just kind of let kids, these young kids, you know, raise their hand and just grow some more, one kid says. And then I, I mean, it's like, wow, you know, and then another kid, I said, what do you, you know, what do you think, what do you think that person needs that did that? Whoever did that one little boy, probably eight or nine, they just need some love. I was like, wow. Okay. Lesson over. Yeah. They just talk. I mean, and, and yes, you know, we, you know, you need to do sometimes do something about that. And, but you know, these kids, that are in these hard, difficult situations, they understand. And we all can learn something from them too. And, and well, it, it some, really, of the, some of the comments, you know, they made were like, wow, okay. Yeah. They just bought me some, something here. I mean, it speaks to me of our need as adults to unlearn a bunch. Exactly. For one thing. And mm-hmm. to really uh, continue to... Um, safeguard and rebalance education to prevent situations where that innate sense of what's right and wrong and what matters isn't lost, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a disconnect that happens over time in, in, right. in education and exposure to society. And those are the very disconnects which are causing us all um, you know, from individual uh, psychology to, you know, international relations and, uh, you know, global ecological crises. I mean, that, to some extent, that's all about being disconnected, isn't it? You right. know, it's like you're right. no longer connected to yourself and your own heart. Mm-hmm. And, your, and, your, and so now your empathy starts to kind of drain mm-hmm. away. Wow. Uh, these kids are showing this really powerful innate em- empathy mm-hmm. for each other. And then it just rolls downhill from there, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So oh, nice to have talk, this. We talk, we talk food security. We talk, mm-hmm. I mean, the kids understand because, you know, they're food insecure, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we talk, we share, we, we save seeds at all the schools. And we've had um, tremendous um, outpouring of, of like in-kind donations, for instance, from Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company has donated seeds every year to all the schools and but we also think it's important to teach seed saving and so we teach seed saving and then the next year we take the seeds okay so parkview for instance which is more low income and challenged and then there's byron center who is kind of if you know a more of affluent area although every child deserves to learn this these lessons, by the way, it's, it's, it, it, there's no socioeconomic difference between we all need, this is all something very important to learn is how to grow food in nature-based education, no matter where you, where you are in life. So the kids from Parkview, you know, harvested lots of sunflower seeds, lots and lots and lots, you know, and force grow, I mean, uh, uh, countryside in Byron Center, they didn't grow sunflowers, you know, the previous year. And so we bring, we bring seeds and we say, hey, you know, these are from Parkview. And this is a whole different school district. Quite often they're rivals and they all are, all these school districts are rivals in sports. Oh, I can't stand Wyoming, can't stand Hudsonville, Byron Center, Granville, you know, these are the schools. And they're all sharing seeds among these schools 
And to me, that's beautiful because, because it's like you're feeding the, the, these kids that are challenged. Okay. I'm telling them you guys are feeding and you're making a difference. And here they're, they're getting the food trucks, but they're sending their, actually what's really cool. The summer program Parkview, that's what school I went to. So obviously my heart's <laughs> kind of little has attached to that, that one in particular, They've grown so, their food. Their their garden has produced a lot of food, and we've been able to bring that food to food bank in Byron Center. And actually, it's a food bank my husband and I used a few years ago because we needed to. And now we're bringing food, and it's all organically grown by the hands of children. And so we're bringing food from these gardens to the food bank. But another cool thing is the, the kids themselves at the school are eating this food. This food is actually the summer. We, we started bringing the food into their lunchroom because it's a summer program. And another cool thing is that at, at that cafeteria in the school cafeteria, they started this program for the community for, for community members, they can come in and have lunch. Their kids can eat free. Adults are $3. And anybody under the age of 26 that is handicapped can eat free in the school cafeteria in the summer. That is, such a, that is so cool. It is such a beautiful example, too, of how regenerative activity spreads and enriches, you know? It is uh, to, to, to go from a, a place where kids can release energy and learn a bit about nature to suddenly you're feeding part of the community. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah. We got pictures of the kids bringing their produce to the, to the lunch ladies <laughs> and we weigh it, you know, we weigh it, the kids weigh it. And then they brought, they brought in produce, some, some flowers to decorate and they have a salad bar and the kids eat off of this in the summer and the community comes in, like community members come in and eat lunch there. And so it was really cool because now the kids are feeding them, like their, some of their garden produce is going to themselves and to community members. And I think that's really cool. And what's interesting about that too is it starts to move in the direction um, beginning at food security and moving towards this concept of food sovereignty. Mm. Uh, which was explained to me a, a few months ago by a woman who works with the Indigenous Environmental Network in Minnesota. Mm. And they've got a food sovereignty program there for the tribes. Um, and what she was saying was, you know, food security means you have enough to eat. But food sovereignty means you actually control the relationship you have to your food and to the land that produces it. Hmm. Wow. And I, I think... That's there's new, clearly that's, that's new education for me there. So yeah, and there's clearly a trajectory to that, you know, hmm. and, and you're you're kind of moving into more of a situation, at least for to set some examples, you know, and and reference mm -hmm. points for that community and being able to say, yeah, we we fed ourselves, you know, because you could have food security with food stamps, or with. Um, True. You know, so some other kind of program that guaranteed a minimum amount of, you know, wheat and eggs and milk and whatever. Mm -hmm. And in, in some senses, that's p 
part of a safety net that the U.S. government mm-hmm. had in place at, at, at one point for, for people who fell below a certain level of income. Mm-hmm. But this is a whole different ballgame. This is like, you know what? You can keep your dried milk because we're doing fine <laughs> over here. Oh, yeah. We had dried milk <laughs> as children. My mom tried to sneak it in. <laughs> Never, she never could sneak it in. No, it tastes, it to existing milk, like nah, nah. Um, it tastes nasty. <laughs> nasty, I'm telling you. You know what? We need both. Yeah, we do. We do. You know, people do fall in hard times, but if you can empower people to, I mean, so 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 I believe sometimes people just need a hand. We needed a hand. People need a hand. And sometimes people are in a place where they just need that kind of help. But if you can empower them, it, it's, it's beautiful when they, they're like, wow, I did this. Like, so when we're at the gardens, we always say, whose garden is this? And they'll look at us. We have Hope Garden shirt on. Your garden. No. No, it's not our garden. And now they're starting to get it. They say, our garden, my garden. And these kids will go out and say, hey, this is my garden, you know, and, and they're like taking ownership of it. And some of these kids, they, they're not good at, you know, math, science. They, they sometimes feel like a failure because they're failing, you know, what it seems like failing. They, let's say by society standards, they're failing. But then they see, I planted this seed. I took the seed home. I watched it grow on my windowsill. I planted this and my family's eating from this. That's empowering. So another thing we do is we grow, we grow heirloom organic plants. One of the high schools here for, for three years in a row has been testing soils for us. It was a good way to get into their the greenhouse. Actually, they contacted us saying, hey, we have this greenhouse, this high school, beautiful greenhouse. They don't use, they don't, you know, it wasn't really being, use like it like they thought it could be for science the head of biology uh contacted me and for three years he's been growing plants for us in his greenhouse testing organic soils so i'll say hey can you test you know detroit nutrient company uh, you know some of the major brands uh, trying to think, think of some of the other brands um dairy do can you test them and test how they germinate, you know, how well they germinate? And so high school students will give us, you know, you know, 89% of the tomatoes and this soil did this and, you know, and which is very cool. And then in the meantime, they're growing these plants in the greenhouse for us, which we finish off in our greenhouse, which was donated to us in our own backyard. We, we grow plants from our basement to our greenhouse and last year, we were able to give out 1,700 plants to the community, many of which were children. So if we're going to be teaching plant adaptations, what better way than to bring a tomato plant to children, you know, and, you know, they can look under microscopes, under their, uh, under their uh, looking glass, magnifying glasses, and, uh, you know, look at the hairs of the, you know, the of the tomato plants, look at the, the roots and, and then take a plant home and grow heirloom tomatoes in their backyard. So, you know, the, to, to us, that is empowering. Your- it's, it's empowering. And it's, it's even just, just the fact that you're working with the heirlooms means you can, you can get into those stories. 
you know? Oh uh, yeah. We, and we do, we, we absolutely do. And so that's been really cool um, to have plants. Um, we also grow heirloom plants that we sell as fundraisers, as a fundraiser for, to help sustain hope gardens. So if, moving forward, we're obviously a nonprofit um, and we have this year for the first time received some grant funding, which, which has really helped move forward. Uh, before that, everything has been in-kind donations, volunteerism, um, and some um, donations from community men- members, which every, everything makes a huge difference. So when we started, we had nothing, literally. It's like, well, no money, you know, nothing. But we had a volunteer, a, a, a young lady, her name was Emily, and she was passionate, okay, a millennial, which they are very passionate. I don't even like to label them millennial. I'm just saying that's the age, okay? And she was passionate about food and food security, and she had gone to Africa and did some work. She she so into the regenerative, and we she believed in what we were doing. This is like right at the beginning. And she worked at an organic farm and she one day brought over a big, huge bag of seeds, like all different varieties of leftover seeds. Okay. And the, the organic farm is called Groundswell in Zealand, Michigan. I like to give plugs to people. And um, that's what we, how we started. We, we, it was literally seeds that were donated. Like, you know, leftover seeds. And so Seems you fitting. yeah, it really was. And you have a dream and you don't say, well, I can't do it. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have what, what's in your hand. Yeah, you ex- exactly. Exactly. It's beautiful. You know? We're, we're coming, Julie, we're coming up on the hour. Okay. Um, and there's a couple, there's a couple more questions I'm dying to ask you before we okay. go. Okay. Great. Um, if, if, if you don't mind changing tracks. Yeah, first, first off, let's, track. yeah. let's give people a sense of, of where to go if they want to find out more about what you're doing. Okay. Yep. Uh, hopegardensgr.org is our website. Um, I would say if you really want to get a picture of what we're doing, I would go on our Facebook page. Um, we, we definitely need some work on our website. Um, Hope Gardens GR um, on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram, hope underscore gardens underscore GR on Instagram. And you can find me on Twitter, Julie Brunson, or on LinkedIn, Julie Brunson on LinkedIn. Um, and Brunson is just, it's just the way it sounds, right? B-R- yes, B-R-U-N-S-O-N. Um, yeah, so that would give you a really good picture. I, I, I do, every time we were at a school or, or do an event, I do post often on uh, our Facebook page. So that'd probably be the best way. Great. You know, and and when we follow us. And when we publish this, um, we'll put all those links below as well. Awesome. Um, so if you would, toss yourself like 20 years into the future. And look back to this, <laughs> this point and give me some kind of an idea what, what a 20 year success would look and feel like. And then maybe we can talk about some of the you know, important stages that might, have, that might bring, you to, bring you or the community uh, to that place. 
Wow. That's a really good question there. It's meant to be provocative. 20 years older self here. Um, what I would like to see, is that what you mean? Um, like see? Let's assume it's going to succeed. You know, <laughs> okay. Let's assume everything is just going to continue mm -hmm. doing really well. And mm -hmm. like projects of this nature, um, there is transformation intended, mm -hmm. right? So what would the transformation that has been possible from in, within 20 years yeah. I mean, like, what are you looking, yeah. what are you looking for and how would you recognize it if you, if you found yourself in it, observing it? Right. I would, I would see schools um, implementing regenerative agriculture uh, into their program, into their daily programs. Um, I would see a transformation of, um, let's say food sovereignty, I guess <laughs> would be the, the word now um, in communities really through education, empowering children, and which I, I think is uh, powerful to see, to start with. So if you look 20 years from now, the same children that we are uh, working with, empowering, they are our future growers, leaders. And so looking into the future, I would, I would love to see, and I, let, let's say I would believe to see, um, communities, school districts, changing the face of food insecurity in their in in not just in this area, but let's just say around the world, you know. And I I am hopeful that, um, just like you know what they had in the with the Victory Gardens back in the Depression that impacted the world. And I, I, I really believe that gardening, people feeding people, community connecting with communities can change the face of the world and impact poverty, food security, social justice. Um, we can start working together to make, to make the world a beautiful place. And it kind of sounds like pie in the sky, but Let's, I, I really believe that can, that's possible. Hey, somebody's got to cook those pies, right? <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, there's so, a lot of people that have the same desire. And yeah, exactly. And what to do with, uh, with it. And unlike the Depression and World War II, we're globally connected now. That's true. So the, the ability that's to true. move information and to help one another, you know, even from a distance, is mm -hmm. a completely different story than it was back in the 30s and the 40s. Yeah. I believe our curriculum can impact that as well. We will have an online curriculum that, that can be used uh, for people, um, I mean, we, for people to have access to this type of education and to start their own programs. And I do have people contact me, well, hey, I would like to start a school garden in my community or I wanna do you know, a community garden and, and I'll, I'll step them through it. But I think if they have this, you know, this curriculum, something, um, something like this to go by, I think it could make a huge difference. And what's the stage of that curriculum? Is that completed and, and available or is it still in process? It's in process, although we use it, I use it all the time. It's just, um, I have, um, we have lessons all, already prepared. The curriculum writers are helping me shore it up to make it more presentable, let's say, to, for, for um, 
for the public, um, adding the standards, the necessary standards, not just from Michigan, but, you know, uh, several different standards nation in the, in, in the nation um, to make it more uh, user-friendly for teachers. And so that should be available end of 2019. And in the meantime, are, this is, it is what I'm already using. This is what, and, and it's been de being developed as, as we've been teaching. So mm -hmm. if I yeah. think about beekeeping pollination, that then it's time to create a lesson. <laughs> so, right. So it's, it's, it's kind of evolving and, and incorporating on an as needed basis. Yes. We were, t we were asked to teach a Arbor Day lesson. So guess what? I had to come up with an Arbor Day lesson and, you know, <laughs> tree. So and so. So yeah. if somebody's listening from another part of the country and it's just a bit too far to hop in the car and drive over to, to, <laughs> to Grand uh -huh. Rapids, right? But they, they, they'd love to do something inspired by what you've, you've been able mm -hmm. to accomplish. Um, are you open for, for contact? And you, Absolutely. You, and you can give folks advice and, and whatever might Always. be entailed in that. Super. Mm -hmm. super. I do it um, often. I mean, I do have people contact us, um, con contact me and... Uh, people from, I've had, you know, people from Australia, uh, Africa, I mean, all over the place. And I'm, I'm more than happy to inspire others to do something similar and even, you know, give them links or ideas. That's absolutely just so inspiring. I really That's what you do, right, Eric? <laughs> yeah, I guess we all need to be doing it, you know, <laughs> to a greater extent. But um, mm -hmm. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. And um, I don't know. I, th I think if there's if if people indicate, if listeners indicate some some strong interest, or maybe even if they don't, um, mm -hmm. I would love to have further conversations with you on on this um, platform. And, Sounds um, great. I, I would so love much, that. So much we can we can talk about. Mm -hmm. um, I'll have to leave it there for now because I think we're okay. just a bit over the hour. So uh, <laughs> once again, thank you so much, uh, Julie Brunson of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Hope Gardens. Bye. Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of Designing Paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next week. <laughs>